The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 83, a song, a psalm of Asaph. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people, and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also is joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot, Selah. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth, Make their nobles like Oreb and Ze'ev. Yes, let all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. Oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind, as the fire burns the woods and as the flame sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Ah, sounds like something we should be saying right now. All right, we are in Joshua 21. It's a short sermon, only eight verses long. It's the first eight verses of chapter 21. This is entitled, Cities to Dwell in. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, the Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their common lands. Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites and the children of Aaron, the priest who were of the Levites had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon and from the tribe of Benjamin. The rest of the children of Kohath had ten cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the children of Gershon had thirteen cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan. The children of Merari, according to their families, had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Quite often, our sermons cite the work of E.W. Bullinger. More than anyone else, he revealed the meaning of numbers used in Scripture. 
Anyone doing a study on Bible numbers would save a lot of time if they had his book, Number in Scripture, handy. Today, anyone with an internet connection can have it handy because it is on several websites, and some even make it easy to download as a PDF. The thing about citing Bollinger isn't just that what he says seems to make sense. Rather, he normally cites detailed examples of his conclusions concerning the meaning of numbers right from Scripture. Sometimes he cites dozens of examples. Because of this, you can be relatively certain that when someone cites Bollinger, the citation is reliable, even if the analysis given by the person citing him is not. In other words, there are times when someone will cite Bollinger, but will then botch the analysis and conclusion. Therefore, just because someone cites him or any other reliable scholar, it is always good to not accept the conclusion at face value. So be sure to check up on what you hear. Concerning Bollinger's work, you will hear it referenced many times today. The passage before us is filled with numerical and typological patterns. It really is a marvelous treasure of God's wisdom. Our text verse comes from Genesis 49. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. In Genesis 49, Jacob prophesied over his son Levi that he would be divided in Jacob and scattered in Israel. Though brought into the narrative in several ways since then, the actual allotment of cities to Levi starting in today's passage is the fulfillment of that prophecy. The Bible is meticulously, even minutely detailed how this would come about. Step by step, everything in Scripture moves us toward clarity of what God is doing. And yet, some people miss out on this. And it's an obvious truth that you should not miss out on. The pulpit commentary on Joshua 21 verse 2 says, First, the six cities of refuge were to be appointed, and then 42 more were to be added to them. Calvin, not noticing this, has complained that this narrative is not in its proper place, and that it should have been inserted before the details in chapter 20. Despite being almost idolized by many, Calvin's comment is so far out of line with reality that it's hard to imagine what the guy was thinking. What the pulpit commentary references was explicitly stated in Numbers 35, as will be seen below. But even if it wasn't, his statement calls the order of Joshua into question. That alone opens up a can of worms concerning the reliability of the biblical text. This is why it is so important to check what you are told. Consider what is in a printed commentary, and above all, to be familiar with what is said in Scripture. John Calvin was just a guy. The commentator of the pulpit commentary was just a guy. We are all fallible and prone to error. The word of God is not. Amen. The word is reliable, so be confident in it alone. Everything else needs to be measured against this marvelous standard we call the Holy Bible. Wonderful things are to be found in his superior word. 
And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is by the hand of Moses. It's verses 1 through 8. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest. The heads of the fathers of the Levites are those who lead the three divisions of the Levites, descending from Levites' three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Of them, it says they came near to Eleazar the priest. Eleazar means whom God helps or God has helped. The matter to be resolved is the granting of Levitical cities for the people of the tribe to dwell in. As it is a matter to be determined by Lot, Eliezer, being the high priest, is named first, just as in Joshua 14, verse 1, with the division of the land for the tribes. The same order was stated again in Joshua 17, verse 4, and 19, verse 51. Verse 1 continues, to Joshua, the son of Nun. The same order as the verses just mentioned continues where Eliezer was named before Joshua. Eliezer is the one to determine the will of the Lord. He then conveys that will to Joshua. One must know the will of the Lord prior to abiding by that will. Hence, you should be reading your Bible. In the case of the division of the land, it will come from the Lord through the hand of Eliezer. Joshua is the civil and military leader of the nation and was naturally to be included in any such matter. Joshua means the Lord is salvation. Verse 1 continues, And to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. These would be the men named in Numbers 34, 16 through 28, who are also mentioned at the beginning of the land division in Joshua 14, verse 1. At that time, they came before Eliezer and Joshua to receive their land inheritances. They are now gathered together because of a matter of law that must be settled, which deals with cities within their land. These cities are to be made the possession of the Levites, and this is now the appropriate time to settle the issue. Of this, John Calvin's comments completely miss the point of what is happening. He assumes that the people simply forgot about the Levites, saying, For thus it usually happens, while everyone is paying attention to his own care, that he forgets his brothers. It is a ridiculous statement when considered. As the cities were within the borders of individual tribes, and those tribes are only now defined, it would have been impossible to assign the Levitical cities according to tribal inheritances until this point. The assignment of the tribes and the granting of Joshua's inheritance was complete at the end of chapter 19. The designation of the cities of refuge, which we did last week, comprised chapter 20. As seen, those cities were logically determined before the assignment of the Levitical cities, even though they are a part of the Levitical cities. Only now, and not through incompetence on behalf of the people, is it appropriate to define Levitical cities within the tribes. Therefore, only now do they come forward. Verse 2, And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. Shiloh is the place of the tent of meeting, as first noted in Joshua 18, verse 1. The congregation had moved from Gilgal to this more central location. Shiloh means tranquility. Canaan signifies humbled, humiliated, or even subdued. Verse 2 continues, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. More correctly, it reads, Yehovah Tziva Beyad Moshe. Yehovah commanded in hand Moses. 
The term in hand signifies by the authority of. But that authority was transferred to the scroll. The Lord commanded it to Moses, and Moses committed it to writing as a permanent written command. The matter now to be considered was specifically mentioned in Numbers 35. There it said, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around their cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. This is what is being considered in compliance with the mandate of the law. Saying, from the inheritance of their possession means that the matter was not ignorantly forgotten. But this is the time when it can be properly settled. The inheritance of the children of Israel is complete in the division of the land. Thus, the Levitical cities may be assigned accordingly. Verse 3, so the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance. The word gave is correct. The word is natan in Hebrew. But it may not mean, here are the cities we have decided to give you, as if the individual tribes determine the matter. Rather, it likely means that the process is directed by the Lord. The Lord gave the tribal inheritances to the children of Israel. From there, these cities are given out of those inheritances by the Lord. Or it could be that the tribes allocated Levitical cities that were then assigned to the families of Levi according to the lot. If so, the Levites might have looked over the cities and given their preferences during the surveying of the land. Either way, the process of allotting them begins to be realized in the next words. They were, verse 3 continues, at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their common lands. It says, El P. Yehovah, unto mouth Yehovah. This must be referring to what lies ahead because the cities were not named in Numbers 35. Only the number of them was given. Therefore, the lot itself is being equated to the mouth, meaning the command of Jehovah. This is what Numbers 35 says. Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land. And the cities which you will give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe you shall give many, from the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. With that remembered, it next says, verse 4, Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites. Kohath was the second son of Levi, but from him descends the priestly line of Aaron, Thus, he is allotted the first portion. Depending on the root used for the name Kohath, it means either obedience or gathering, meaning an assembly, gathering or assembly. So obedience or gathering or assembly. From him, the first allotted portion will go to the priests. Verse 4 continues, And the children of Aaron the priest, who were of the Levites, had 13 cities by lot. The translation is understandable, but it is completely out of the order of the Hebrew, which reads, and it was to the sons of Aaron the priest from the Levites. The way the Hebrew is worded, it clearly sets the priests off as a distinct class within the Levites. The meaning of the name Aaron is debated. Jones' dictionary renders it very high. 
Kohath received the first lot, and then from there, the sons of Aaron descended from Kohath. They then received the first lot of Kohath. It was, verse 4 continues, from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin. The words are correctly translated. And then in the Hebrew, the text ends with the words, in the lot cities 310. The total is given at the end of the verse, not in the middle. It is to be noticed that even without naming them yet, the cities are located directly around Jerusalem. Judah, praise, is to its south. Simeon, he who hears, is within Judah. And Benjamin, son of the right hand, is to its north. Thus, the priestly cities, by the providence of the lot from the Lord, place the priests in a somewhat circular fashion around the city. As for the number 13, Bollinger says that every occurrence of the number 13 and likewise of every multiple of it stamps that with which it stands in connection with rebellion, apostasy, defection, corruption, disintegration, revolution, or some kindred idea. Verse 5, the rest of the children of Kohath had 10 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. The Hebrew reads in a completely different order. It says, and two sons Kohath, the remainings, from families tribe Ephraim, and from tribe Dan, and from half-tribe Manasseh, in the lot, cities 10. Ephraim, twice fruitful, and ashes. Dan means judge, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, he shall forget, or from a debt, are located just west and north of Benjamin. 10 signifies the perfection of divine order. As Bollinger notes, it implies that nothing is wanting, that the number and order are perfect, that the whole cycle is complete. Albert Barnes states, the non-priestly Kohathites had been diminished by the destruction of Korah and his company. That was found in number 16. On comparing numbers 2657, following with numbers 327, two of the families of the Kohathites seem to have disappeared altogether. Hence, it is not surprising that the rest of the Kohathites were sufficiently accommodated in 10 cities. The total number of cities for Kohath is then 23. Verse 6, And the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan. Gershon was the first son born to Levi. His name means expelled one or exiled one. His allotment is also 13 cities, coming from Issachar, he is wages, Asher, meaning happy, Naphtali, meaning my twistings or my wrestlings, and from the other half-tribe of Manasseh across the Jordan in the Bashan, which is the place of fertile soil. The tribes within Canaan are located north of the half-tribe of Manasseh, but the area of Zebulun is omitted. The other half-tribe of Manasseh, east of the Jordan, is to the very north of the tribal inheritances. Verse 7, the children of Merari, according to their families, had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. The name Merari comes from Marar, to be bitter or to be strong. The I at the end may be possessive, and so it means either bitterness or strong or my bitterness or my strength. He is the youngest son of Levi, and his cities are somewhat dispersed. Reuben's tribal land is the southernmost portion east of the Jordan. Gad is the middle tribe east of the Jordan, just north of Reuben, but south of Manasseh. 
However, the third area for his cities, which is in the land of Zebulun, is west of the Jordan in landlocked between Issachar, Manasseh, Asher, and Naphtali. Together, they will possess 12 cities, the number of perfection of government or governmental perfection. Thus, all combined, there are, as directed by the Lord in Numbers 35, 48 Levitical cities, six of which are cities of refuge. Verse 8, And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites. As noted in verse 3, these were either chosen by the children of Israel and then allocated by lot, or they were chosen by the Lord and then allocated by lot. Either way, I would go with the last, but either way, they were given from within the tribal inheritances of the children of Israel. The common lands are those explicitly described in Numbers 35. Here's what it says about them. The common land of the cities, which you will give the Levites, shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, on the south side 2,000 cubits, on the west side 2,000 cubits, and on the north side 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. This shall belong to them as common land for the cities. However the decision was made, the entire process was, verse 8 continues, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. According to which commanded in hand Moses in the lot. The Lord commanded Moses, Moses wrote out the words of law, and from the law the lot was cast to determine these cities. Concerning these cities and of the Bible in general, there are always people who deny that these words could have been written at this particular time in Israel's history. There simply were not enough priests and Levites to properly fill the cities. This is an error in understanding the layout and purpose of Levitical cities. Just because these are designated as Levitical cities, it does not mean that only Levites lived in them, nor does it mean that Levites only lived in Levitical cities. Though lengthy, Adam Clark does a noble job of explaining the situation of these cities in relation to Israel. He says, it has been asked in what sense did the Levites possess those cities, seeing they had no inheritance, to which it may be answered that it is not likely the Levites had the exclusive property of the cities in which they dwelt, for it is evident that other Israelites dwelt among them. We know, says Calmet, by history, that the cities of the Levites were almost entirely filled with Israelites of other tribes. For instance, Gibeah of Benjamin, which is here given to the Levites, Joshua 21:17, was always peopled by the Benjamites, as appears from the history of the Levite, whose wife was so horribly abused by them. That's found in Judges 19. Saul and all his family dwelt in the same city, and David and his court spent the first years of his reign at Hebron, which was also a city of the Levites. Joshua 21, it appears therefore that they had no other property in those cities than merely the right to certain houses which they might sell, but always with the right of perpetual redemption, for they could finally alienate nothing. And if the possessor of such a house having sold it, did not redeem it at the year of Jubilee, it reverted to the Levites. And as to their lands for their cattle, which extended 2,000 cubits without the city, 
These they were not permitted to sell. They were considered as the Lord's property. That's found in Leviticus 25. It is therefore very likely that in the first instance, the Levites had simply the right to choose in all the cities assigned them the houses in which they were to dwell and that those of the tribe to which the city belonged occupied all the other dwellings. There's also reason to believe that in process of time, when the families of the Levites increased, they had more dwellings assigned to them, which were probably built at the public expense. We may also observe that the Levites were not absolutely bound to live in these and no other cities. For when the tabernacle was at Nob, priests and Levites dwelt there. That's found in 1 Samuel 21. And when the worship of God was established at Jerusalem, multitudes of priests and Levites dwelt there, though it was no Levitical city, as did the courses of priests afterwards at Jericho. This was a circumstance which Moses had foreseen and for which he had provided. Once again, I know that was long. It was a tedious commentary, but that explains when you come across a commentary someday in the future and they dismiss this as being not the word of God because he very carefully did what would have taken me an hour to type up myself. So thank you. Someday I'll be able to shake his hand on that one. He is correct in this. As this is so, there must be more than what is seen on the surface. The Lord chose the number of cities before Israel ever entered the land. The lot determined who went where within these cities, and yet they were not bound to these cities, as if they had to permanently dwell in them. More is going on for us to consider. Everybody see that? Everybody understand what I just said? He gave a number of cities before they ever entered the land. There were only a few Levites at the time. The cities are big. There's not enough Levites to fill the cities. The Levites don't have to live in the cities if they don't want to, and other people can live in the Levitical cities. So why did the Lord do this unless he is giving us typology? That is why the Lord has done everything he's done, is to show us Jesus Christ. Separated in Jacob and divided in Israel, the tribe of Levi is to be dispersed. And yet, from it, there is a marvelous story to tell redemption from the land that was cursed. God's Christ will come and bring healing into the world that he created, this blessed way that God is dealing with those who upon the Messiah have waited. A world at enmity with God is what Messiah will come to restore. Among his creatures, he will trod, and the new world will be treasures galore. Our second thought today, pictures of Christ, numbers and names. The inheritances of the tribes are being used to reveal Christ in a marvelous way. Levi has no land inheritance of its own, and yet they do possess an inheritance. That was seen in Joshua 14, 1 through 5, where it was noted. Because Levi, who anticipates Christ, has the Lord as their inheritance, there is no need for a land grant. In other words, just as the Lord is Levi's inheritance, so the Lord is Jesus' inheritance. What belonged to the Lord from Israel passed to and through Levi. What belongs to the Lord from redeemed humanity passes to and through Jesus. That's from my sermon on those verses. What we are dealing with now follows in thought with the contents of that sermon. There are 13 individual land grants. In order, they were Judah, Simeon, Benjamin, Ephraim, Dan, half Manasseh, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, half Manasseh, Reuben, Gad, 
Zebulun. As was noted earlier concerning the number 13, Bullinger says that every occurrence of the number 13, and likewise every multiple of it, stamps that with which it stands in connection with rebellion, apostasy, defection, corruption, disintegration, revolution, or some kindred idea. This is the state of the world without Jesus Christ. Israel is being used to reveal this. However, Bollinger explains further concerning the number 13 later in his book. Here's what he says. The connection of the number 13 with substitution and atonement. The Savior, though without sin, was made sin or a sin offering for his people. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for their iniquities. He was, in fact, numbered with the transgressors. Therefore, this number is not only the all-pervading factor of sin, but also of sin's atonement. It is not only the number which brands the sinner as a rebel against God, but it is the number borne by the sinner's substitute. His very names in the Old Testament before the work of atonement was entered on or accomplished are all multiples of 13, just as his names afterwards in the New Testament and when the work of atonement was carried out are all multiples of eight. And he gives examples. Christ, 1480, eight times 185. Lord, 800, eight times 100. Our Lord, 1768, or eight times 221. Savior, 1408, eight times eight times 22. Emmanuel, 25,600, or eight times eight times eight times 50. Messiah, 656, 8 times 82. Son, 880, 8 times 100. The Old Testament names are Jehovah, 26, 13 times 2. Adonai, 65, 13 times 5. Ha Elohim, the God, 91, 13 times 7. Messiah, as given in Psalm 2, a form which it occurs 10 times, his anointed, 364, 13 times 28, the very number of Satan himself. The world without Christ has fallen, and Christ came to redeem the world, taking on the appearance of sinful man and bearing his guilt. By adding Levi to the inheritance, the grant totals 14. Bollinger defines the number saying, 14, being a multiple of seven, partakes of its significance, and being double that number implies a double measure of spiritual perfection. The number two with which it is combined, two times seven, may, however, bring its own significance into its meaning, as in Matthew 1, where the genealogy of Jesus Christ is divided up and given in sets of 14, two times seven generations, two being the number associated with the incarnation. Everything points to Jesus. Everything. Using Israel as a picture of the world, despite their rebellion and apostasy in the earthly realm, because of Levi, the Lord has placed his stamp upon them in the spiritual realm. Does everybody see this? You've got 13 tribes. There's disorder. There's chaos. They hate the Lord. They're apostatizing. They get exiled. To this day, they're not right with them. 13 land allotments. But you throw in the 14th, which doesn't have a land allotment, but is still a allotment to the Lord. It makes everything perfection doubled. It is marvelous what God is doing here. 
Likewise, with Jesus' incarnation, the fallen world can be brought to a state of perfection once again. Christ is like the glue that binds all else together. This connection between Christ and fallen man is further explained in the passage today. There are three sons of Levi. Three is the number of divine perfection. Bollinger says it points us to what is real, essential, perfect, substantial, complete, and divine. Despite there being three sons, there are four allotments because Kohath is divided into two, the sons of Aaron and the rest. Bollinger notes that the number four refers to all that is created. It points to material completeness. It is the world number and especially the city number. The first family, that of Kohath, is divided into two portions. Two is the number of difference. In two, there is a contrast, and yet there is a confirmation of things. For example, the Bible has two testaments. They contrast law and grace, but they confirm the whole word of God. Jesus is the God-man. They contrast, and yet they confirm the totality of the incarnation. I could go on all day with these examples. Kohath, obedience is so divided. The first lot was for the sons of Aaron, very high. Each tribe of his allotted cities is a picture of Jesus, the son of the Most High. He is, one, Judah, the praise of God. He is he who hears, meaning obeys, God, Simeon. He is the son of the right hand, Benjamin. And yet they are given 13 cities, the number of disorder, disintegration, and so on. It is the state of the world into which Christ entered. But as Bullinger explained, 13 is connected to substitution and atonement. He is the fulfillment of everything associated with the priestly duties of substitution and atonement, as was made perfectly evident when we went through the Leviticus sermons. There are some people that have started attending this church since we were in Leviticus. So I want you today to go up and watch every single Leviticus sermon that we did. You'll be done by the end of the week. Don't take a break. Just stay and watch them in order and you'll do fine, okay? The second lot, the contrast and yet the confirmation is seen in the remaining 10 cities given to the rest of Kohath. Christ's work is the perfection of divine order, 10. He was twice fruitful in his work through the ashes of his affliction, Ephraim, bringing in Jew and Gentile. He is the judge of sin, Dan, it having been judged in him. With that, he shall forget their sin, having paid sin's penalty, which is from a debt, the tribe of Manasseh. The second son is Gershon, exiled one. This speaks of Christ in his work as well. He is wages, Issachar, for the sin of man. He is happy, blessed, Asher, in the completion of his effort, which was revealed in Naphtali, my twistings. He, the true Israel, wrestled with God, and he prevailed. This was an allotment of 13 cities, signifying the substitutionary and atoning work of Christ, despite the state of disorder and disintegration in the world which he entered. The third son, Merari, anticipates Christ. The name means either my bitterness or my strength. They are two sides of the same coin because bitterness includes the idea of that which is strong. Either name will suffice. The completion of Christ's work is the proof of God's declaration of the sonship of Jesus Christ. See a son, Reuben. In the resurrection is realized his fortune, Gad, and the granting of the glorious dwelling place, Zebulun is his rightful due. 
This was an allotment of 12 cities, the number of governmental perfection or perfection of government. Everything about these allotted cities reveals the workings of God in Jesus Christ. And yet, there's another aspect of them seen in the Numbers 35 sermon, which began to be revealed again in the Joshua 20 sermon, the six cities of refuge. Although being a part of Levi's allotment, they are separate and they are unique. There are 48 cities, but six are set apart from the others. In Numbers 35, verse 6, it said, Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee. And to these you shall add 42. The 42 cities are secondary to the highly important designation of the six cities of refuge. The Levitical cities are six plus 42 first and foremost. One could say that the United States was first 13 with 37 states added later. Although they are equal, there is a special note of honor held among these designated first. Without the need to count on your fingers, I will tell you that 6 plus 42 equals 48. Bollinger notes that 6 has to do with man. It is the number of imperfection, the human number, the number of man as destitute of God, without God, without Christ. Simply put, it reveals fallen man. However, it also reveals Christ who came in the appearance of fallen man. 42 is a most interesting number. Bollinger says it is a number connected with, surprisingly, Antichrist, giving examples to support this. He then notes, being a multiple of seven, it might be supposed that it would be connected with spiritual perfection, but it is the product of six times seven. Six, therefore, being the number of man and man's opposition to God, 42 becomes significant of the working out of man's opposition to God. There may be something more in the common phrase about things being all sixes and sevens. They are so indeed when man is mixed up with the things of God and when religious flesh engages in spiritual things. That's Bollinger's comments. Of the number 48, the obvious division of it by 12 and 4 is not to be missed. 12 signifies the perfection of government. 4 represents the number of material completeness. It is the world number and especially the city number. Thus, in these cities, one can see a representation of the kingdom of God in the world with a special focus on one fallen man, which is represented by the six cities of refuge, as well as two, the kingdom of Antichrist, the world opposed to God, where religious flesh engages in spiritual things. Despite this seeming contradiction in the individual numbers, 6 and 42, with that of 48, it reveals that when taken together, the first two combine to form the perfection of God's government in creation, or more specifically, what God has used to form the kingdom of God in the world through the work of Jesus Christ. It is a rather marvelous picture of him working through Christ and forming this universal government highlighted by those who come to take refuge in him. As seen earlier in Joshua 14, 1 through 5, in these allotments, Levi anticipates Christ and his work in numerous ways. Levi is allotted his inheritance. The Lord is his inheritance within Israel, dispersed among the other 13 allotments. Despite the disorder, disintegration, corruption, and so forth of Israel, 
God brought Jesus into the world through them. In his incarnation, he resided among them and brought them, meaning the commonwealth of Israel, into a double measure of spiritual perfection, inclusive of both Jew and Gentile. The dispersion of Levi throughout the land meant that Levi always walked among the people. This is what is reflected about God in Christ, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The actual residing of Levi among Israel was to keep the people's focus, their understanding and thoughts concentrated on the Lord. The Levites were to minister to the people in the things of the Lord, keeping them properly educated in the law. Someday the fulfillment of that will be seen when we dwell in heaven and Christ dwells in us and walks among us. Everything mentioned about Levi throughout the books of Moses and here in Joshua is given to help us understand the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and then to point us to our relationship with God because of him. When we consider Levi as a tribe, their duties, their inheritance, all of it, it anticipates the person and work of Jesus Christ. But this should not be unexpected. God used this imperfect tribe that is a portion of the imperfect people known as Israel to reveal to us the perfection of Christ Jesus. It is all in the numbers and names, and it is marvelous. I have to tell you, when I type these sermons and I remind myself of all of the things that I've looked at, like Bollinger in the past, all of the patterns, all of the things that are laid out in Scripture, it just reinforces my faith all that much more. Yes. There is no way, there is no way, you read the book, Number in Scripture by Bollinger, and like I said, you can print it off right online. Don't let you download a PDF of it. You don't need to go buy it, or you can buy it online for eight bucks. You read it, it's complicated at times, but I'm going to tell you what, you go through the numbers. He goes through the Greek, and he says, there are this many words, and they equal this, and he does the most marvelous job of it. And when you're done, you think the wisdom of God. That is, and he only found a little bit. He didn't do this sermon for me. This is all mine. Nobody else gave this to me. So everything you've heard today has never been presented to anybody because that's just the way it is. We all will find something if we are willing to study out the word of God. Okay. The number 13. And there's 13 things that he never mentioned. But we've looked at. And then other people will do other sermons and they'll find other patterns and they always match. It's not like this guy's going to come up with something that doesn't match this. They always match because God's mind is perfect. And when he reveals himself in his word, there is perfection. I just love it. It just reinforces my faith. It makes me stronger in my hope. Think of what we went through in the report today. Imagine, do you want to live in this world? I tell you what, I've really struggled. Should I present what I presented today to you all? I, it was that hard for me. And I thought about it all week. And I thought yesterday as I, or Friday, I was printing it off because I had it all done. And I said, should I do this? I don't want to depress anybody. But man, nobody pays attention to what is going on in this world. You know, when I was talking about that one article in the end section, Burke was leaning forward. He couldn't believe what he, you were literally coming out of your chair. Remember that? It's just unbelievable. Keep your eyes on this. This is where you keep your focus because there is so much about Jesus Christ in this word. We will be searching for it forever. We're never going to get tired of seeing the wisdom and mind of God revealed to us. It's never going to happen. Our closing verse, wait, 
I better give a salvation call, right? Here we are, excited about numbers in Scripture. People love to have their ears tickled with the sensational. Oh, I heard there's a great sermon about numbers. And then they click off before they, you know, decide to read the Bible. It doesn't work that way. If you're watching now, you got to stay for the next 30 seconds. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ was buried and Jesus Christ rose again. This implies that you're a sinner, that you need your sin removed, and that he can do it because he is God. So I would ask you to please don't worry about the intricacies of the Bible unless you are saved first, because it's not going to do you any good at all. But if you are saved, all of this pertains to you. He came into a world full of incorruption and just violence, rebellion, people doing things all the wrong way. He came into this world to redeem you. And here we are in this world, and here comes Christ, who is the perfection of God, and he makes everything perfect, a double measure of spiritual perfection if you are willing to accept the gospel. Please do that today. Okay, our closing verse comes from Psalm 85. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's verses 10 and 11. I guess I should say two of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. If you don't see Jesus in all four lines of those verses, you're not looking hard enough. I'll read it again and think of Jesus. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. The God-man. Everything about this word speaks of Jesus. Everything. Next week is Joshua 21 9 through 19. They are designated for all of them from the greatest to the least. It is entitled the cities of the children of Aaron, the priest. That'll be our 46th Joshua sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay. All right, I got a short poem for you, but before I do, this is, uh, I'll give this a seven on a hard scale, okay? It'll probably be somebody that's read this chapter recently. No, it, it, it's easy enough where if you have read this book in the past 30 days, which you should have, then you'll get it. One of the prophets who was appointed to accuse Ahab directed a man to strike him. When the man refused, what did the prophet say? his penalty would be. If you read this recently, you can't forget it because it's such a memorable thing. But it's one of those things that's added into a giant book and you, you forget it. What did... What? Well, yeah, but how? No. Oh, okay. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys share this, okay? No. Okay, no. Okay, she said no. All right. I'm going to let you share the credit for it, but I won't give you the prize. How's that? All right. He did die, but it was by a lion. Okay, that's found. Let's read it. 1 Kings 20. Let me take you there really quickly. I, I, I knew if you read it, you would remember because it's the kind of thing that you won't forget for a while until you get into something more confusing and your mind gets overloaded. And Okay, 1 Kings, what did I say? 35. Okay. And, uh, oh, 20. Did I say, yeah. Okay, 1 Kings 20. And it's verse 35. Okay, here it says, Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor, By the word of the Lord, strike me, please. Now he's a prophet, 
And he's saying, by the word of the Lord. So that's why what happens. Otherwise, you'd think, why would he do this? But strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. He was afraid to strike the prophet of the Lord. But the word of the Lord said to do it. Okay. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely, as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. When the word of the Lord says to do something, do it. Okay? This book is filled with wonder, but it's also filled with things for us to do. And when we don't do them, we are the ones who will suffer. Okay? Don't do this, and we do it, and a jealous husband shoots us. Who do we have to blame? Right? This is the word of the Lord. He's telling us things for our, our, our understanding, for our compliance, and for our good. I try to tell people this from time to time. I may have said it in the, here or I may have said it in the Bible study recently. If I'm repeating it here, I'm sorry. But we, when we have a TV and it comes with all kinds of stuff to hang it on the wall, right? Frame and it swings this way. What do we do? We're supposed to have a manual that tells us this bolt goes in here and this goes, get a level out and do the. That's the instruction so that we do it properly. If you want to know how to live your life as a human being properly, this is the only true source. Everything else has come from us evaluating the world and trying to not make mistakes in the process. With this, you will make no mistakes. If you do what the Lord says, you will be fine, okay? This is the manual for humanity. Okay, cities to dwell in. Then the heads of the father's houses of the Levites came near to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the children of Israel, the greatest to the least. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses, he did talk, to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance, as the law demands, at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their common lands. Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites, and the children of Aaron the priest, who are of the Levites, we know, had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin also. The rest of the children of Kohath had 10 cities by lot on that day, from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and also from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot, from the families of the tribe of Issachar, they came on. From the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan. The children of Merari, according to their families, had 12 cities. These they did accrue. From the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun too. And the children of Israel gave these cities, with their common lands by lot to the Levites. As the Lord had commanded, by the hand of Moses, they were given these sites. Lord God... Turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. Then we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah, we shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, how good it is to be in your presence and to share in this word and to see the marvel of what you have tucked away in there for us just in numbers and names and places that most people in the world have never heard of and don't care about. There is revealed in there treasure and wisdom concerning the redeemer of the world. 
and of the work he has done and of how it pertains to us. What a, what a wonderful thing. How great it is to see these things and to know that you are in control and that you have a plan and it is being revealed in ways like this. Thank you. Thank you, oh God. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Okay, I said something in the sermon. I didn't uh, expand on it, but I do expand on it, I think, next week in next week's sermon. But just so that in case your brain is off on a tangent while we're having the sermon, I'll say it now and then when you hear it, you'll process it better. The Levitical cities are given by the Lord. That was mandated long before they went into the land of Israel. The um, cities of refuge as well were given by the Lord. And then when they went into the land, they were given these cities by lot. And the cities of the priests went where? Said it in the sermon today. Where did they go? The cities of the priests. They went around Jerusalem. This is hundreds of years before Jerusalem became the capital of Israel. Okay, this, this isn't just next day that they suddenly do this. This is a long time before. And the Lord was preparing Israel for their capital to be in Jerusalem all the way since the beginning because he had the number of cities designated in advance. He had the plan already in work. And then he says, these are for the priests. Not near the tabernacle at Shiloh. You'd think he'd put them up there. They had to go from these cities up there to minister to the Lord. But he knew. Now remember that because this is a part of the unfolding work of God. Everything in the Bible is following a plan. It's called progressive revelation. God is slowly and progressively revealing himself to us. And by putting those cities there, he's saying, pay attention because these, there's a reason why I'm doing this. And the people had no idea. Hundreds of years later, somebody went, oh my goodness, all the priests are down here right around us. This fits. This is the working of the Lord for us. So consider that. 